Thanks for listening to The Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like him. How's everybody doing today? Put your hands together if you're doing really well. Man, there's that one line there, and maybe, maybe we should have actually put, made this in kind of part of our series, but that one line about being holy. And we're going to be talking about grace, as Caleb's already said, and without a holy God, there is no grace. Without a holy God, there's, there's no salvation. And I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this series. I've been really excited about this. It's probably going to be my new favorite series eventually, but... But I was thinking about this for several different reasons. Let me give you one reason is that there's probably people in this room that are kicking the tires of Christianity. You've been trying to check it, check it out. Or maybe you've been you know, around this place, you've been around church for a long time, and you really just don't know what Christianity is all about. And so it's going to be a great series for you. And maybe if you're, uh, you've been a believer for a long time, this will kind of set in motion just the things like, I know what I believe in. This is why I believe it. Because grace is though, it's easy, it's, 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 it's simple, it's free, it's all the things that we're going to talk about. It's also very complex at times. And sometimes we don't understand uh, God's real grace. There was a a collective of world religions happening uh, years ago. And C.S. Lewis, which you probably know who C.S. Lewis is. If you haven't, you know, he's the Chronicles of Narnia guy. He's, you know, he wrote as, you know, Lion, which just great writer and screw tape letters and all that. Well, he was able to come to this because not many people know he's a great uh, apologetic. I mean, he like, he knows Christian apologetics. And so he was asked to come to this meeting and all the world religions, every world religion was represented there. So you had Buddhists and Muslims and, you know, uh, Jewish people. You had all kinds of different religions. And he walks in the room and they're arguing and they're arguing like they're, I mean, they're like, it's very heated. And he goes, what, what, what's with all the energy here? Like, why, why, why is there all this anger here? He goes, well, we're trying to figure out what makes Christianity so distinct from all the other world. Well, because you say that you're different. And he said, that's easy. Grace. And he said, what do you mean? And he said, well, let me explain it this way. Every other world religion, every other religion out there, it's what the creation can do for the deity. And so like there's certain things we have to do for like we would bow down, we'd stand up, we'd do certain works. And even even uh, some so-called Christian uh, religions, that, that it's about what you do. And he said, that's, that's, not, that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about what the deity has done for the creation. And that's grace. Because Jesus went to the cross when he didn't deserve to go to the cross and he went for us. And over the next six weeks or so, we're going to talk about these concepts of what grace actually is. And I'm praying that, I mean, like we're tenacious with taking notes and we're studying and we're doing what God wants to do in, in this series because I believe this will revolutionize who we are and how we act and what we do in the world we live in. Now, sometimes you've got to go back years and years and years to understand because it really, it really, unless you understand creation, you don't understand what grace is. You literally have to go all the way back in the times of Adam and Eve to understand where, where grace was destroyed when we were perfect. Now, it's interesting. This is our 20th year. We've been in a church for 20 years. That's pretty, pretty major, by the way. Um, and we're going to have a big celebration. I think it's going to be October 1st. But what we wanted to do is we want, let's do some throwback videos. Let's go back in time a little bit. So what we want to do is we want to go back, not just in the story back in time, several thousand years, but we want to go 12 years back to a series that was called um, uh, Old Time Religion. And I literally talked about creation. And so I want you to enjoy this. This is really good, okay? So watch this. Genesis chapter three. Why don't you go there with me? Genesis chapter three. Old school, right here. You ready? 
This is old-time religion stuff. Now the serpent was more crafty than any wild animal the Lord God had made. Now, I want to stop right there and put that on pause. That serpent that was walking this planet thousands of years ago, that Satan that was walking this planet, getting ready to distort God's truth, is the same Satan that's walking around this planet right now trying to destroy us. And he's just as, if not more so, crafty than he was when he was uh, somehow or another trying to infect the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. And we've got to be careful because he uses all kinds of methods, but it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, now watch this, did God really, and we're not going to argue whose fault it is today, okay? Some of you are going, he's going to say it's the woman's fault. I'm not going there today. It's not about that. Some of you guys are going, dude, come on, hook a brother up. He said to the woman, I love this. Did God really say? Did God really say? Like he's getting ready for the big, the big twist. He's going to twist God's truth again. Kind of like our kids do when they're talking amongst each other and they twist our words. They'll go, you know, did your dad, you know, dad really said this. You know, no, no. Mom really meant this. So there's big twists going on. Did, did, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Listen to what Satan says in verse four. She won't die. He doesn't, he doesn't even know what he's talking about. You know the real reason he doesn't want you to eat it? Verse five, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes are gonna be open." And he's afraid you're going to be just like him. Because when your eyes are open, you're going to be like a God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, let me let you in on a secret. Sin is always pleasing to the eye. When we engage in sin, it's always appealing or pleasing to the eye. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Now watch this. They've been running around for how long in the Garden of Eden, butt naked. And they didn't recognize it. Something was going right there. But now sin happens. They eat of the fruit and they realize, they look at each other and go, we're naked. And you know the difference between naked and naked, right? Everybody knows it. Naked is you have no clothes on. Naked is you have no clothes on and you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. They was naked. Okay? They was naked. If you're a good Southern, you said naked, right? So they, fought, they, they sewed some fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves because they realized for the very first time that something wasn't right. And I want you to recognize something here. The same crafty Satan serpent. He was offering Adam and Eve some things that they didn't think they had. He was offering them a false power. They thought they could be something that, you know, listen, you'll be just like God or a false significance. You'll be equal, you know, or uh, this, 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 this satisfaction that wasn't there, or maybe even a false pleasure and a false security and a false reality. And let me let you know a secret. Those are all the same exact things that sin offer us now. 
false security, false power, false satisfaction, a false sense of significance. Sin leads us to those same exact moments. The problem is they all lead us to empty promises that the enemy can't fulfill. So God's made us in his image. He looks at us. It's his perfect image. And Satan comes to us with the apple, comes to Adam and Eve. And let me let you in on a secret. Everybody in this room has their apple. And what happened when he, she took the bite out of it and he took the bite out of it is it shattered the image of God that he had for us. Well, let's get it out of the way. That was a good-looking guy right there. <laughs> Those jeans were on point, right? Don't you laugh. You look like that too. You know what's interesting to me, though? You, you remember creation, all that was going on, and he, you know, he created the giraffe, and he said, well, that was really good. And he, and he creates the zebra, and he goes, that's, that's really good. Uh, 31 different times. In the book of Genesis, he looked at creation. He looked at what he made. He looked at the mountains. He looked at the hills. He looked at the stars, and he said, that's good. And then he creates Adam, and he goes, that's really good. Not just good, that's really good. And it broke God's heart in that moment right there when sin entered the world, and it destroyed the image because that was his prized possession. And for years and years and years after that, they tried to figure out how to get right with God, whether it was by sacrificing an animal whether it was, you know, some type of penance, whatever it was, they tried to get back. They were leaning into the, they knew they wanted to have a relationship with God, but they didn't, they didn't, didn't quite get there. A couple thousand years later, we know what happens. We, 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 we have the book. We know that Jesus, about 4,000 years later, comes and dies on a cross for us. Here's what I want us all to get. That broken image, that, that broken image that, that sin left us in, God wanted to restore it all along. And Jesus was the restoration of that. And that's what real grace is. That while we deserve death, while we deserve something else, we got life. I want you to write this down. This is going to be the pivotal kind of statement over this whole series because it's so important. Sin leads us to our worst moments. You know that's a fact. Sin leads us to the worst moments of our lives, whether it's anger or bitterness or resentment or jealousy, or maybe it's worse. Maybe it's an, an affair. Maybe it's an addiction, whatever that. Sin leads us to our worst moments, but grace covers them because of Jesus' worst moment. The worst moment in Jesus' life, when he, when he was up on that cross, at that moment right there, when he was yelling, Aloy, Aloy, Rama, Sabakni, why have you, my dad, my dad, why, why have you forsaken me? In that moment right there, restoration was starting to take place. It was the worst moment in Jesus' life, but it created grace for us. He was restoring his creation back to the creator. He, he looked at God. That, that's even why God couldn't want it. When Jesus was dying on the cross, if you read scripture, that God had to turn his face from that because it was the first time he saw sin on a sinless man, his son. He realized his son was going to die for the, for the sins of the world. As we're looking at this concept of grace over and over again, we need to remember this. See, what grace did is it rewrote the story. 
Grace rewrote the whole story. Now, I don't know how many people are movie buffs. I'm not a big movie buff, but on rainy Fridays when I, I can't hunt or fish or go play golf, I'll watch a movie and just kind of read, you know, whatever, you know, golf magazine or whatever it is. A couple of weeks ago, I was watching. It was a rainy Friday. And I had nothing better to do. And I watched. It's not a classic. Don't judge me for this. It was the only thing I could flip in through the channels. It was like either Andy Griffith or this. Should have stopped at Andy Griffith. But it was Superman 2. Anybody seen Superman 2? couple of you good not, not it's not a classic it's not like it's not a theatrical it's not a gene, you know genius you know work or anything but it's a pretty good storyline because the writers did a really good job and the storyline is this that Clark Kent being Superman can't fall in love with Lois Lane and if he falls in love with Lois Lane and he get married he loses all his powers and so he's contemplating this back and forth, what he's going to do. And finally, he makes the decision that he's going to marry her. And he knows, he knows the ramification. He knows he's losing all, her, all his powers. And so he decides to do that wedding, and he has that wedding. And then all you know what breaks loose in the world. The three villains of the, of the story are now ra- raising hell. You know, Metropolis is, is, is just, cr- you know, it's a crazy place now. And there's this moment in time where, where Superman, I don't know if he's regretting this decision or Clark Kent's, you know, regretting this decision. And he goes there and he sees all this stuff going on. And the next scene, he's walking through this frozen tundra. And he yells out, Dad, I have failed you. Now there's a problem. Here's the problem. The rule of the movie was if he married Lois Lane, he loses his powers. That was the rule. That was the rule. There's no breaking rules, right? We know that. Some of us like, you know, type it. You don't break rules. But that would have been at the end of the movie. That would have been like a really poor ending right there. Like, oh, everybody, and then the world just disintegrates. So you know what the writers did? They changed the rules. In the middle of it, they just changed it. They rewrote it. That he come. And so the next scene, you see Superman flying in, and, and it saves the world. Hey, for thousands of years, the world was going, the real world was spinning out of control. And 2,000 years ago, God decided to rewrite the story. And when he rewrote, rewrote the, human, the human element of the story, he re- rewrote our stories. And see, that's, that's what grace is. Now, I'm going to give you a definition of grace. I polished off and dusted off a theology book, okay? Now, if you ever looked at one, they have a lot of these and thous and words that most of us don't understand. So this is what a theology book, a, you know, a historical book says. Grace is the eternal and absolute free favor of God. Are we good with that so far? We get that? Because it's going to get really squirrely in a second manifested in the vouchsafement of spiritual and eternal blessings to the guilty and the unworthy. Anybody understand any of that? Some of you are really smart. Good. I didn't. So what I did is I rewrote a definition of grace. This is my definition. God changed the rules in the middle of the story to let you off the hook. God changed the story. In the middle of the story, he changed it. So we, we, we would be off the hook that, that sin wouldn't come, that the image that was broken 6,000 years ago, the image would somehow or another be restored. The problem is there's still the Old Testament law, right? You guys know that, the Ten Commandments, right? Ten, everybody know, right? If you don't know them, it's, you know, thou shalt love the Lord, you know, blah, 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 all that, right? And, and just let us be honest. Most of us do good on about, I don't know, six of them. Anybody get all 10? You're good? All 10? No? Anybody? Nine? Nine? Oh, some of you are shaking your heads. No, you're not. I, I, get, I get lost and don't envy the neighbor's goat. Like, it's, it, it looks like a bass boat or a car. It's not a goat, but it's 
Don't envy it, right? And so envy and don't be jealous and, and you know, treat, treat people right. And like, so I, I'm going to give myself a six. I get, I get about six. But here's what's the problem. The Old Testament law had a set of rules. And if you break them, there was consequences. There was consequences. Listen to this. In Ezekiel 18, okay? We don't read Ezekiel a lot, but Ezekiel 18, 20. The person who sins is the one who will die. Yay! Doesn't that sound like fun? Like, the one who sins dies. Well, that's all of us. Like, I, I'm not going to do the test because we've done it before, but that's all of us. And it says, then the, the child will not be punished for the parent's sin. Okay, I'm good. The parent will not be punished for the child's sin. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? Sometimes, anyway. Righteous people, now this is good. Righteous people will be rewarded for their own righteous behavior. The only problem is we're unrighteous because the, 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 the sin has destroyed the image of God. And wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. There, there's a problem there. Do y'all see the problem? It's a huge problem. And, and, and you want to go further? We can go into the New Testament. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And it talks about this, that none of us measure up. Last week or two weeks ago, we read Isaiah where it says, all of our righteousness, all our goodness is like filthy rags. Romans chapter 3, 23, for everyone is sin and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Sometimes we forget that. We, we, we think somehow or another when God got us, he got something really good. Like, look. Right? According to scripture, we're all mess ups. We, we, we've all at some point lied or told a story or we're angry. You know, you gave the number one sign to somebody on Washington Road. Like all, some of you are shaking your hand a lot on that one, right? But so what did God do? He changed the rules in the middle of the story. Isn't that cool? He let us off the hook. That's grace. When we deserve something else, he said, no, 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 no. Wait a second. That's grace. No one measures up. No one, no one's, no one's, no, no one's, no one's good. Nobody's worthy. So I have to change the story. And the story is going to include my son going to the cross. Here's what I want to get. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, a payment was required. And Jesus became that payment. Jesus was the payment. And he paid it in full. He paid for everything. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. We're going to stay in Romans 3 for a little while. But now God has shown us a way to be made right. Whoa, 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 whoa. You told us because of the law there was no way we could be right. That we, we fail. It was there as parameters, but nobody could keep those things. And now you're telling me there's a... Yes, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As, as, as we promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Now I want you to remember, Jesus said this, I didn't come to abolish the law, I am the fulfillment of the law. So everything that everybody was trying to do over here, I'm going to take care of that at the cross. I am that person. And it says in verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned, fallen short of God's glorious standard, yet God. We need to underline that. Yet God. Because it's the only way it works. We, but there's no grace outside. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Now, I say this a lot. I'm glad we don't get what we deserve, right? Because what we deserve is death. But I want to really kind of hone in. I want to, I want to take it even, a, you heard Caleb mention about a definition. We've used this a lot, that grace is unmerited favor. 
Okay? Now, this is what unmerited favor is. Let's say you walk out of this church service and you walk out into the parking lot. Like, we're all going to walk out of here. We're going to be really, we're going to be really good. Nobody's going to get the one sign. Nobody's going to back up into anybody in our parking lot. You're going to wait until you get on the real road and like none of that's right. And let's just say you go, maybe you go to your favorite Mexican restaurant, whatever that is, and you see a person that's on the street struggling and you give him a hundred dollars. Okay, you just out of the goodness of your heart, you give him $100. That's unmerited favor. He did nothing to deserve that. You just did it out of the goodness of your heart. You just did it. Now, I want you to kind of play this back out. You're leaving here, and when you get to your car, there's somebody breaking in your car. And they're, and they're like maybe busted, whatever they're doing. And, and you decide out of the goodness of your heart that you're going to give that person right there $100. You know what that is? That's the opposite of what he deserves. The opposite, the exact opposite, that's grace. Yes, unmerited favor is part of it. You get, you know, you don't, you're not, you don't know. But when you give the opposite of what you deserve, that's a definition of grace right there. So this is what we're going to look at. Next, just two, two points today. Um, we're going we're to kind of lay it out what, what grace is, and then and we're going to pray. It's going to be great. Okay, you ready? Here, the first thing is grace is free. Right? There's nothing you can do. It's always been free, and it always will be free. There's nothing you can do. I grew up, and I, I'm not slamming any denomination or anything, but I grew up in a denomination that that's not the way it was. I grew up in a very mainline, big, big, you know, world church that we had to work for our salvation. As a matter of fact, you didn't even know if you got to heaven until after you spent some time in the halfway house called purgatory. Well, you didn't know. And so if you did enough good works, you lit it up. But that's not what God, that's not what scripture says. And so let's look at scripture. Remember I said that some people are here, you're kicking the tires of Christianity. Let, this is what grace is. This is what it looks like. This is what faith looks like in Christ. In Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, God saved you by his what? Grace. By his grace. When you, okay, so you have to believe, right? So it's not just about lighting a candle. There's a belief system. This is one of the reasons here that we don't baptize children, that we don't put them in the water when they're one and two or three or four, you know, because there has to be a belief in Jesus for, like, and I'm telling you, when I was one or two or three or four, I didn't believe in Jesus. I, I believed in, I believed in a God, but I didn't have any, you know, idea of what Jesus really, who he, what he really did. And so he says, says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And I love this. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward. Whoa. It's not a reward for what? The good things that we've done. And none of us can boast about it. Well, when I was growing up, it was the most good things you can do that you would get yourself into heaven if you did enough. If you walked the nun across the street or if you maybe took somebody who was homeless some food, you kind of had this like, there's this spiritual abacus. Like I did three good things today. And then, okay, I did one bad thing. Oh, it was a really bad thing. Right? But that's not the way it works. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have good works. The Bible says, right, be doers of the word, be, you know, faith without works is dead, all that kind of stuff. But this is the, this is the starting point of it all. P Peter tells us that grace is free. Now, let me ask you a question, okay? Deep question. Everybody, deep question. How much does a free gift cost? Say it again real loud. How much does a free gift cost? No, it does. You've never gotten a phone call for the timeshare. right? Hey, we have this free gift, three days, four nights in the timeshare. And you go, how many people just, let's just have a mass confessional. How many people have been baited into this one right here? Okay, good. So I'm not the only person. Uh, man, you know what we used to think when we were younger, we couldn't afford to go on vacations. 
We'll listen to their, what we thought was a 30-minute spiel because that's kind of what they told us. And then eight hours later, I had to shave again. <laughs> like, right? So, so you, go, you go do this thing, and it's a free gift, and the free gift is night. And then you have to sit there and listen to this guy. And then on top of that, I mean, they do everything. They do everything they possibly can to figure out who you are, how much money you make. And then they go, you know how good you would like in the car salesman last week. You know how good you look at this place. You know, look at you, you'd be tan all the time. And it's not free. Unfortunately, sometimes I think that's how we think about God. That we feel the same way, that it's not free. It's free. There's nothing you can do. You can't pay. You don't have to sit through a presentation for eight hours. You don't have to do any of that stuff. God freely gives us this thing called grace. God offered forgiveness. And here's, here's the really cool thing. It's absolutely free in our lives. But a lot of us still think there's a trick involved, don't we? Anybody, anybody ever fish? Fishing, fishing, raise your hand. You put a little wiggly worm on a hook. You throw it out there. And you, you try to trick them, right? Trick them. Now, I used, to, I used to bass fish. We used to do a lot of tournaments. And um, some of them bass lures are big and they're, they're shiny and they're just as attractive to a fisherman as they are a fish. Like at $20 a piece for a, what's a broomstick that's been cut down to that size right there and spray painted silver and then put a couple hooks in it. But the whole object of that is to what? Trick. And you know, sometimes we feel like God's trying to trick us. He's trying to wiggle that worm. That's not how it is. God doesn't go, okay, now that, you're, now that you've done this, I've got you right where I want you. Now you've got to do these three, and you've got to go to Africa and be a missionary. That's not, it's not, that's not grace. See, God offers us for free. Romans chapter 3, 23. Let's read it again. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet, God in his grace, I love this next word, freely makes us right in his sight. No cost. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for our sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. And a couple of things that we need to get about. The first thing that we have to understand about grace and forgiveness, we have to ask for forgiveness. That's the first thing. But asking for God, God's gift of forgiveness is an admission of guilt. Do you hear me on that? And a lot of us don't like that. So I'm going to show my age. Okay. How many people remember the TV show Happy Days? Okay. Favorite character? Pinky Tuscadero was mine. <laughs> my second favorite was Leather Tuscadero. <laughs> but my third one was Fonzie. And you know, I liked, I, I, he was just, remind me of me. You saw the video. <laughs> No, but you know what he had a problem with? He could never admit he was wrong. He would stutter over the I was or I was so, 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 so. He couldn't say it. And you know, in our lives, that's the first thing we have to come to grips with if we're going to come into a grace, grace in our lives. We have to admit that there's a mission of guilt, that I, I did something wrong. I have sinned. I've fallen short. That, I, that I'm, not, I'm not who I'm supposed to be. I'm not who God designed me to be. And after asking for that free gift of forgiveness, there's also an admission of helplessness. Now, here's, here's the key. We don't want to be helpless, but in, in, God's, in God's, you know, God, we have to be helpful. We can't get to the point where we think we can do it on our own. We, we need God's gift, free, free gifts in our life. So that's the first thing. It's, it's big. Let me give you the second thing. And this is really good. Grace is big enough to wipe out all of our sins. I don't know where we've gotten to the point where we think it, it doesn't cover all of our sins. 
Verse 22 again, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right. I love that, right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. John 1.29 is becoming one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I'm going to read it from the King James Version. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. You know what that, that taketh away the sins of the world means? It means this. It covers lying. It covers cheating. It covers adultery. It covers murder. It covers gossip. It covers backbiting. It, cover, it covers jealousy. It covers lust, pride, greed, all those big sins that we think about. Hate, envy, and any other sin that you can name. Grace covers those things. It covers, this is what I love, it covers the big sins, thank you Jesus, and the little sins. The things that we sometimes don't even think about. It covers the sins we commit occasionally. Anybody have a, a sin that they commit just occasionally? And it, and it covers the ones we have day after day. Now, let me give you the biggest truth about this. It also co- keep, it covers the sins of the battles that we're losing. Do you hear me? Some people go off. It's about the tenth time of though a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. It covers that sin too. I, I just believe. I know first service we had a really special moment at the end of service. But I, I don't want to run through this and, and not at least kind of pay attention to this for a second. I, I believe there's some of us in this room that have that habitual sin that we lose to all the time. And I think that even there's moments that we, we live with the shame and the guilt of that, and that doesn't come from God. That comes from the enemy. That's because of the broken image. God's grace covers those sins too. Even, even, if, even if you mess up again tomorrow, that God's grace covers that sin again. I don't know where we've gotten in the church where we feel like there's this thing that happens. There's this defining moment where God can't cover that sin, but it's not, it's not the case. Some, some of us are facing that dilemma in our, in our, in our lives right this second. And, and the biblical teaching of grace goes against everything. Every thought that comes into our minds about that. See, here's the problem. We've listened to the world for some. We've listened to the enemy that's tried to distort the view of God. The world believes this, that God helps those who help themselves. And that's not the truth. You know what? God helps those who can help themselves. That's us. That's me. The world believes that God's attitude toward us is every time we do something wrong, it's like God just goes, okay, that's it. I'm done with you. And that's not, that's not the biblical view. As a matter of fact, the biblical view of God is this. Maybe you've been kicking the tire. It's love and acceptance. And I'm not talking about keep living. And I've said this a gazillion times. God loves you just the way you are. Somebody please say amen to that. But God loves you too much for you to stay right there. He wants you to grow. And sin is sin. And he wants you to move away from sin. You don't need a preacher to tell you what sin is. Read the Bible. Open up the scriptures. Read Romans. You'll quickly allow the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to convict you of those things. You don't need somebody on TV telling you what's wrong. The conviction of the Holy Spirit should be enough. Be open and honest with that. The world believes that God's mercy is limitations and grace teaches something different. That mercy is unlimited. You came in this, this morning with, and probably got communion elements. And we try to do communion around here once about once a series. And 
I just felt like today would have been the, the great day to do it because we're talking about grace and, and the cross changed everything. I mean, it changed everything. There's, there's nothing the cross didn't co- cover. Jesus, Jesus became our punishment on the cross. There's this brilliant scene in the movie called The Last Emperor and this young emperor gets appointed to be the king of China. And in the process of that, um, extravagant lifestyle. He's got thousands of, of people that are caring for him, but his brother walks up to him one day and says, okay, so what happens to you if you do something wrong? And he said, watch. And he took a scepter and he broke a clay pot. At that immediate moment, one of the guards grabbed one of the servants and started beating him, started just whooping him for the, for the, for the sin of the emperor. Now, now here, here, get, get, this, get this picture right here. Jesus reversed that ancient picture right there. When the servants, us, did something wrong, the king was punished. The king got punished. Not his servant, the king got punished. Grace is free only because the giver himself bore the cost on his back. You want to know what communion is about? That right there. Recognizing that Jesus bore everything that we should have got, he got on that cross. Every every time there was a a whipping every time a part of his beard was pulled out every time there was a, a another hammer you know on the nail every time that was the that was to take away our sins i'm going to give you something to think about because we're going to be led in a song and, and and all of us are going to respond differently in the next couple some people are going to raise their hands some people are going to tears in their eyes some people are going to go thank you jesus for for taking you know taking away the sins all some, some of us are going to take communion quietly some of us are going to take it with a shout Every one of us is going to respond differently. But I want this passage to be something that just resonates and maybe even past today. It's Isaiah chapter 53, 5. It's Old Testament, okay? This isn't New Testament. This isn't what Jesus, this Old Testament. This is telling what's going to happen to Jesus. It says, but he was pierced. Remember? His hands, his feet, his side, he was pierced for our rebellion. Rebellion is when we disobey intentionally against God. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so I could be whole. That all the things in my life that are broken, like shattered glass, he was beaten so I could be whole again. He was whipped so I can be healed. Isaiah says this, by his stripes, on his back, I was healed mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. I've been healed. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to stand up with me. We're going to pray real quick. And Justin and the team are going to lead us in a song. At any point in this song, when you feel led to take those communion elements, I'm going to encourage you, spend some time with the Heavenly Father. Have a conversation with Him. If you're not where you're supposed to be right now, this is a great moment to just kind of step into that, to cross that line and walk closer to the Savior. Maybe you don't know who Jesus is at this point. Maybe that's the first conversation we all need to have is just, God, where, where am I at with you? What, what, what am I shortcoming? What, what, what am I missing? How can I, I be whole again? Heavenly Father, it's in this moment. God, thank you for your grace thank you for your mercy thank you for rewriting Bobby Smith's story that I am not what I used to be 
I may not be exactly what you want me to be yet, but I'm on, I'm on, my, I'm on my way to that. And by your grace, I'll become the man that you've called me to be. God, I pray right now for humility to come across this building. Maybe if they're watching online, just a humility would enter that room. Over in our atrium, just a humility. Where we would say, God, I'm a sinner. And I'm wrong. And I'm helpless without you. And I need you to take your rightful place as number one in my life, Lord and God in my life. And I don't give you just my heart. I give you everything. God, use me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or want to talk to someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.